Well, good morning. My name is Brad Strom. I am not Brad Dunlap, our normal uh, teaching pastor who would usually be doing this with you. Uh, But I'm excited to be here with you today to continue our study as we walk through the armor of God. And we've been talking about that for the last several weeks in in the midst of our study of the book of Ephesians as we've gone verse by verse through that. And today I'm going to get to talk to you about the helmet of salvation. And the big idea I want you to get today is that Jesus has given me salvation. Jesus has given me salvation. And what he gives me is not just for me. Jesus has given me salvation, and what he gives me is not just for me. And we've been talking about uh, putting on this full armor of God. It's a passage that uh, when I was on church staff and I counseled people in some pretty dark times, it's definitely a place I would send them to. Uh, It's a great place to crack open your Bible if things are just tough and hard uh, to, to prepare yourself to walk through that. But we've also been finding out over these past several weeks that it's not just in those really dark pit of despair, tough spots in life that we need the armor of God, but that spiritual warfare hits us in the everyday, kind of the mundane ordinariness of life. And this armor of God passage reminds us that there needs to be a deliberateness, an intentionality about living out the gospel daily in our lives. Uh, In spiritual warfare, too, we found that it's not typical warfare, right? It's not just this, I'm going to hurt you as bad as I can. But no, our enemy does not attack us that way. It doesn't hit us physically, uh, but rather plant seeds of deception in our very hearts and minds. Uh, Pastor Brad, many times, has used this statement from Tim Keller. He said, spiritual warfare is not fangs in the flesh, but lies in the heart, that it's not that just I'm going to rip you apart kind of warfare. It's, it's I'm going to plant a little bit of deception. The enemy would slightly deceive us and let that deception grow rather than cause us great immediate harm. The root of a small lie can grow deep and strong. But however, as believers, we have great hope. We have a God uh, that through Paul has given us this passage that we've been looking at and, and to be able to resist the enemy, the very things we need to shine the light of truth on the dark attacks of Satan. And we've walked through our study. We've put on the belt of truth. We've put on the breastplate of righteousness and the, and the shoes of the gospel. And just last week, Brad showed us the importance of that shield of faith that gets us into battle, reminding us that we should believe in God and show us what we are not believing. He showed us the four G's. I love those. I'm going to show those to you again today, okay? Um, That God is great, so we do not have to be in control. That God is glorious, so we do not have to fear others. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. And God is gracious, so we do not have to prove ourselves. Paul shows us that it's our faith that thwarts the enemy's lies, the many lies we try to, dis- to distort these four truths, okay? The, the, they would, these lies would tell us that God is not great, that God is not good to you. He did not give you what you need. Uh, he would seek to just slightly deceive us and that root of deception grow. And the shield reminds us that we're to hold tight to these things that we know about God. So that as we're approaching that ordinary life where the enemy would seek to attack us, that we know we have a good God, a great God, a glorious God and a gracious God. And so today we find ourselves taking up that final piece of armor we're going to wear. Next week we get a weapon, okay? But this is that final piece of armor uh, that that we're going to put on, the helmet of salvation. And as we've seen in the last couple weeks that Paul's 
uh, referencing the armor of his day. He's riding in a time and a place. And, and so this helmet uh, at times before Paul was usually very fancy. Like the more money and standing you had in Roman uh, culture, if you're part of the army, you might have big feather plumes and you might have uh, just a very shiny, ornate helmet. But as the first century was coming around, uh, we started to go more to form over uh, and function over the fanciness of what they used to have. So they're starting to get a little plain, but they still serve the same role, okay? And they'd have these flaps that came down that would protect the neck and the ears and the side of the face. If you see uh, uh, a lot of old ones, a lot of that's gone or they've recreated that part because that usually wasn't metal. It's made of leather. Uh, and then the actual helmet itself would be an amalgamation of, of iron and bronze. And so it was made, obviously, to protect the head. Uh, and it's always interesting to go back as well to see what people in that time thought about what they were protecting, okay? So a lot of what they thought we know now happens up here, they thought was here. So they were still protecting their senses. That was important uh, without a direct it's like stabbed to the face, you know, you could protect your senses and still see what you needed to see on the battlefield. Um, but they also kind of thought that the brain was just kind of a radiator for the heart. All right. And sometimes some of us, probably more of us men act that way sometimes. <laughs> so instead of using what we've got up here, uh, but, but that's kind of what they thought. Uh, but as we know, the Bible is written in a time and a place. It's also written for all times and all places. And I truly believe that uh, when God had the helmet uh, tied to salvation and this idea, he knew what we would know about the brain and he knew how important we would find that it is for our lives. That, that so much of who we are and so much of what we think and so much uh, of what we know is, is running through our head running through our brain and so we want to protect that with the idea of salvation for those of us that follow football we know all too well how important protecting that is uh, I was thinking back as I was writing this uh, my brother who's here today and, and we would watch a segment on ESPN called jacked up on, on that would celebrate huge hits in the football week and, and every once in a while you get a real big one where a guy would come up and just tackle somebody and that helmet would just go flying and you'd celebrate it and all the guys would be like, oh, he got jacked up, right? Uh, but we don't celebrate that now. That would be very bad form uh, because now we know about the concussions that get caused when there's a hard hit and we know how severe that's affecting some players that are now outside of the game and have mental issues and so new rulings have been put in place. Uh, you have concussion protocols. Uh, we have new rules about how they're supposed to hit and even the very helmets they wear are constantly being redesigned to try to protect the very thing that's going to be damaged, that brain that is so important so that they can protect that. Um, so it's huge. What we know now fuels this idea of the helmet of salvation. Also, another interesting thing is I was thinking about football and soldiers and all that. That helmet is kind of the last thing you put on. You watch the sidelines of a football game or, or a war movie where the guys are not in battle at the current moment. The helmet's off. They're not intentional. Uh, but as soon as that helmet goes on, as soon as that helmet goes on, there's a very intentional moment of, I'm going to battle. I'm going in the game. I'm getting ready to go about what I have set out to do. It brings with it a certain focus and intentionality when we put on that helmet to go in. And so our helmet is a helmet of salvation. Salvation is the cornerstone of our gospel for our good news that a living, holy God, a God who cannot stand the presence of the imperfect, rightly judge the smallest sin to be worthy of eternal separation from him. But our loving God loved us, sinful, wretched beings that we are, 
so much that he sent his one and only son, fully God in flesh, to show us perfection on earth, to take our sins, to take our punishment and save us from damnation by dying in our place. Our salvation is sealed in the fact that the tomb could not hold him. The death and resurrection of Jesus is our only hope for salvation. And for the believer, there's also a personal story that goes with that. Each story is a little different, but we all have that same turn, that same moment of repentance, that same realization that I am not good and God is. So good in fact that he took our place and because of that we believers yielded our lives to him. And I want you to go back for a minute and remember that moment when you first came to Jesus. You first experienced that salvation. You prayed, God, take my sins away from me and let me fall under your leadership. May you be my Lord. And how excited you were. You may have been going back and forth telling family and telling friends and and getting excited about being baptized and you couldn't wait to dive in your Bible and learn more and hear from people and dive into scripture. But then something happens. And it's usually not anything big. It's usually just the ordinary life crept in and that excitement wanes. and, And the idea of how great our privilege is in salvation gets set aside. And the problem, as we have seen, is, is the enemy is always at war. And so when we, when we do that, we lay that aside, and, we, and we're not constantly rehearsing that anymore, and we're not excited about it anymore. Our, our spiritual battles never cease, and we need this armor constantly, constantly. We, but, but we set it to the side. I was reminded of a scene in Saving Private Ryan. It's a great movie uh, where there, at the very beginning, they're showing the storming of Omaha Beach, and they're panning back and forth to different areas of carnage in the battlefield. It's, it's pretty rough. If that's not your thing, I, I, you may not want to watch that one because uh, it's pretty realistic. It's one of the most realistic World War II movies they had done uh, to date. And there's a scene where, where a guy's got his helmet on, and he's kind of coming up out of cover, and you hear the ding of a bullet hitting off his helmet. And in a moment where he lacked intentionality and focus, he takes his helmet off to see where he got shot. And in that removing of the helmet, he was no longer ready for battle, no, more, no longer in a moment of thinking about what he should be doing, and it's seconds later that another bullet just gets him, and he's gone. That one moment of taking off that helmet, that one moment about being intentional, about being in battle, he lost his focus, and it cost him his life. Sadly, many believers find themselves in the same situation. We <clears throat> Look at what we lose when we set aside that helmet of salvation. Look at what we lose in our lives about being intentional about. It's just some verses to walk through about where scripture mentions it. Uh, Psalm 13, five says this, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. We lose that, that idea of the love of God, that he is a loving God, that, that we can rejoice because he loves us so much that he did not hesitate to give his son. Psalm 18, two says this, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Look how that verse speaks to that protection of God, that we lose, that that we are protected by the very God who created us, everyone else, this world, and, and knows the enemy. We lose that protection when we set that aside, or at least the thought of it. 
Isaiah 51, 6 says this, the earth will wear out like a garment and they who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be dismayed. That we lose that thought, that knowledge, that whatever hits me in this world is only temporary and that the salvation God has given me is forever. It endures through eternity. It's sad that that we get that initial excitement and we don't stay immersed in our salvation experience and post excitement nearly long enough to get to where we call uh, gospel fluency. Gospel fluency uh, is something that we talked about as Kelly and I were first coming to Mercy Hill to be a part of this church. And it was a very intriguing idea, something I had not ever heard uh, described in that way. Something that's kind of one of those things in the back of your mind kind of had an idea of, but somebody's got a way better way of putting words together than you do. And so I was like, man, that's just a great thought. So what is this idea of gospel fluency? It's this idea that I'm going to stay immersed in the gospel. I'm going to tell it to myself so that it becomes so natural that it's like learning a second language, that I can just naturally speak it. It naturally overflows and naturally think that way. I naturally speak that way. I tell other people that way. Uh, And so uh, the idea where this comes from is from a guy named Jeff Vanderstelt, and he says it this way, to become fluent in a new language, you must immerse yourself in it and commit to practicing it over and over again. You must use it every day until you actually start to think about life through it. Becoming fluent in the gospel happens the same way. After believing it, we have to intentionally rehearse it to ourselves and to others and immerse ourselves in its truth. Only then will we start to see how everything in our lives, from the mundane to the magnificent, is transformed by the hope of the gospel. I truly believe the helmet of salvation does call us just to that, to intentionally rehearse the truth of the gospel to ourselves and to others. And so often I find myself losing that intentionality. When it comes to speaking the gospel myself every day, I, I just, it's hard for me to keep that focus. I fail to immerse myself in the power found in salvation of Jesus and, and allowing lies of the enemy to enter my heart. And I miss opportunities to live out and speak the gospel in my community, both to those inside and outside the church. So where does it start? It starts with speaking the gospel to myself. I put on the helmet of salvation. I'm speaking the gospel to myself. Our salvation is, is a saving from the sin that separates us from God. And I truly believe the best Part of the, the part of why God chose to identify the helmet with salvation is so much of our sin, if not all of it, generates from either a lack of thinking or wrong thinking. Either a lack of thinking, an absence of thought, or a wrong thought, a wrong placement of, of my place and God's place. First uh, Peter, I think, speaks really well to this in 113. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're to prepare our minds. Get ready. Get ready to think. Get ready to focus. Not be passive. And be sober-minded to not think too highly of ourselves, to not rush to a conclusion, to, to be calm. Be ready to think through problems and emotions and not think too highly of ourselves. So many times, though, we let our emotions and what's going on around us dictate 
our actions. It's, it's that that's in control and not us. Our minds are not prepared for action. Instead, it's just these outside things and emotions that dictate our actions. I, I love a poem by William Blake. It's just a part of it uh, where he says this. He says, this life dim windows of the soul distorts the heavens from pole to pole and leads you to believe a lie when we see with and not through the eye. And so what he's saying there is, is, is that idea that, that so many times in life we're passive and we just let things come at us and we react rather than stopping to pause and see things through the lens of the gospel to, to really let that gospel fluency come out. And a lot of times, again, it's just because we have not rehearsed it intentionally with ourselves. Many of the sins I need to repent of come from emotional outbursts, whether it's to my kids or to my wife or to my students at school or to my friends. It's because I got emotional and didn't think and lashed out in a moment. And the gospel pleads that people around me deserve better. Jesus has every right to be furious with me, but yet he did not punish me he chose to give his life for me, uh, and, and that is salvation, that he has every right to go against me, yet he gave his life for me. But many times sin also comes from, from prideful thinking because we think we know better. A lie creeps in and we take God's place ourselves. I mean, look at the very first sin to just get a picture of that. Satan deceives Adam and Eve, causing them to question, what, did God really say that? And if you have this, you could be like. When I'm speaking the gospel to myself, I don't compare myself to others. I don't think myself better. I see time, it's not my own, so I'm interruptible. That's a hard one. And I never, whether boldly or subtly, see equality with God as something to be grasped. I never see equality with God as something to be grasped. Sometimes, our sin, though, is, is what we have listened to. We've listened to those lies of the enemy and we are defeated, not believing the truth of who God is and, and what he has for us. It's in moments like that that putting on that helmet of salvation to speak the truth of the gospel to ourselves is so important. One of the greatest pieces of advice that Kelly and I have ever received came from one of Kelly's mentors, a lady named Diane. And, and she was teaching Kelly some things. And one of the things she said is, is, Kelly, I think you're believing some lies. And you need to name those lies. You need to write them down. They're from the enemy. And then I need you to go to Scripture. And I want you to actually physically write out uh, Scripture that combats those lies. Uh, it's such a great practice. She, she told me about that. Uh, and, and it just helps us to get our mind right when we're, we're feeling defeated. We're feeling we're not enough. We've, we've, we're believing that we're not good enough to be part of the family of God. Uh, one of the great tools we have here right now is, is if you picked up a CBR journal, which is a great tool in and of itself, helps us to intentionally speak the gospel to ourselves each and every morning. Uh, but in that, uh, we got one of these cards and this is a great way to start kind of practicing if you're believing a lie of the enemy and you need to combat it. Maybe it's something that matches up with here. Uh, and maybe you feel unforgivable in this moment. Well, right here, on, on the third thing on the list uh, in this position in Christ card, you're forgiven. Romans 6.11, you can go look straight at that. Maybe the enemy tells you that you have no worth. Well, Romans 8.16 says you are a child of God. Maybe you feel unloved. 1 John 4.10 reminds us, no, you are loved by God. You're loved. So use that. Use the resources you have. Identify those lines of the enemy, lies of the enemy. Name them. Find scripture that combats them directly. Pray through that. 
is powerful. Put on the helmet of salvation. Rehearse the gospel with yourself intentionally. The problem is, though, some of us get there and we stop. We stop. We stop just with ourselves. It's great for me to be saved. I've got my salvation. I love to read about Jesus. I love to know these things. But I can be very intentional speaking the gospel to myself and rehearsing salvation with myself and completely leave out passing it on to others. Completely miss the fact that what God gives me is not just for me. And so God places among us specific people for a specific purpose. You've gone through things that, that, that you can walk with other people through. God knows who he's putting in your path. He knows that, that you have a gospel story and, and he knows that just how he's orchestrating who is in your life. Uh, but if all we ever do is rehearse Jesus' saving grace to ourselves, we're missing that half of the equation. We're missing the opportunity. Now we'll never understand this side of heaven, why God has chosen us to be the ones that transmit his gospel. It's a, it, to me, is a strange idea, <laughs> but he has. And, and it is our job to live and speak this gospel out in front of others. There's a great Old Testament story, I think, that illustrates this. Uh, it's 2 Kings uh, 6 and 7. I'd encourage you to go home and read it. It's just a fascinating story. I'm going to give you the bullet points real quick. It's, it highlights the, in the time of Elisha, when his ministry was going strong, uh, there was a king uh, who wanted to have some more property, which was pretty normal for kings in that day and age. And so the king of Syria says, I want Samaria. And so he had a huge army, camps them around Samaria, and, and Samaria is stuck. They, they can't get food in, they can't get people out, and over time, the eventuality of a blockade starts to happen. They start starving, they start uh, buying donkey heads to eat, it's really gross. Uh, and then it takes a real ghastly turn. Uh, there's a moment where uh, a woman comes to uh, the king in Samaria and says, I, I need your help. I, you see, I promised my son to be eaten to this other lady, and she promised her son to do the same the next day. Well. My day came, and her day is now here, and she will not give up her son. And it's at this moment that the king is just distraught and angry and mad, and he rips his clothes uh, just in frustration, and he wants somebody's head, and who better head to take than the man of God who he is going to blame for all this happening? And so he wants the head of Elisha, and Elisha says, you know what? This is going to all change tomorrow. Well, obviously nobody believes that. It's been months and months and months, and, and here's what's happening. And then I love the messengers that God chooses. There's these four lepers, and they're hanging out at the gate, uh, thinking about what they're going to do. And in 2 Kings 7, 3 through 4, they come to a realization. They say, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So, you know, now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians, and if they spare our lives, yeah, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. We're going to die anyway, okay? So just before sunrise, these four lepers go to enact their plan. And they head away from the city and toward the enemy camp. And, and they find, what they find is unbelievable. Everybody's gone. In the, right before they had headed out, God has scared them all away so fast that they have left horses and chariots and food and treasure and everything. The guys are just gone. The Syrian camp is 
empty. And the four men cannot believe their good fortune. And so they enter the first tent and they just start pounding food and drinks. They're eating, they're loving it. Then they look around, they see the treasure and they're like, man, look at all this this stuff. We can get this gold and we can get this. And, And then it hits them. Guys, this is one tent of hundreds of tents. And so I just imagine them going from tent to tent and there's like a trail of gold coins and goblets and all kinds of stuff just falling out of their clothes that they've tried to stuff in. And then another realization hits them. I don't know if it was between tent seven and eight, 17 and 18, I don't know. But they look at each other and in 2 Kings 7, 9, they say this. They said, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. And if we are silent until the morning light, punishment will overtake us Now, therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. You see, they did the same thing we we tend to do. They got selfish with their salvation. They they kept it to themselves, but all of a sudden they realized uh, that this is not something that was given just for us. What God gave us is not just for us. See, without the intentionality of the helmet of salvation, the practice of gospel fluency brings many believers uh, to find themselves in the same situation. We become comfortable in the fact that we are saved. Our closest friends are saved. Uh, the people we see at church are saved. And we can go weeks, maybe even months, without even coming into contact with somebody who is lost or maybe doesn't even know they need Jesus. We're not doing right. Because this is a day of good news. We are not truly gospel fluent when we have just rehearsed the story in an intentional way with ourselves until we come to the realization that these four lepers came to, that there's a community around us that needs the gospel and that they need to hear it, only then will we be truly approaching gospel fluency. And this is something that ebbs and flows. I think we go through seasons, sometimes we are really focused on that. We do have that helmet of salvation on every day. We are moving towards that. Uh, And other times we've set it aside. We've become comfortable again. So what does that look like practically? means that we cultivate relationships with people that don't know Jesus. Not as projects, but as people that we truly want to love. It means that uh, because we love them, we share about the only thing that could save us. It's not out of a, of a five-point plan that I gotta do. It's because I love you. Now, I've, I've developed this relationship, and I wanna tell you about the God who loves me. We tell our story, and we tell the story of Jesus. It means a million things that can go with that. Things like, you know what, God gave me a home in order to be a place of peace for kids in the neighborhood. So we're we're meeting these neighborhood kids and they can come to our house and we'll make them hot dogs and they can play in our backyard and we'll we'll, we'll develop that relationship with them and get to tell them about Jesus. It, It may mean that God gave you a knack for welcoming people. And so you can just see new people coming in the neighborhood. You can see new people coming at church. Uh, my wife is a great example of that. Just plugging people in and helping them feel a part so, so that they can get to know Jesus as you live out the gospel and speak the gospel. Uh, maybe you're just good at baking or throwing a party or, or whatever it is that God has given you a talent in that what he has given you is not just for you. And through your time and your talents and your treasures, you get to be an ambassador. We get to be ambassadors and use it to genuinely love him and love people. Right now, my family's getting an opportunity to do that. We're in the midst of moving, and we're getting to move into uh, an apartment complex, Crosstown Concourse, where we're going to get to uh, interact in a community that we would not get to interact in a way from the outside, and, and to be able to, to 
practice what we preach, to be able to do the things that we want to, want to do in order to see uh, Jesus made much of in an apartment complex full of young single people trying to find their way and young families and, and some older uh, residents as well. And just to be able to do that, to open up our home, to open up what we can do, uh, is, is a neat opportunity for, for two adults and two elementary school children. And so we want to see what impact that's going to have. So we talked about his gospel fluency. We're going we're to speak the gospel to ourselves. We're gonna, it's going to overflow to others with intentionality. Um, but in closing, I want to tell you this, is that we are not meant to do that independently. One of the things as we've been looking at armor and as we're putting on this last piece of armor that we're going to wear, uh, we find that in ancient times, the more armor you had, the less likely it was that you could put it on yourself, that you couldn't get it all together. You couldn't, you couldn't tighten everything just right and, and who knows you, you, something would fall off when you go into battle or whatever so you needed other people around you to help you get ready for battle and, and I think it's just too difficult and maybe even impossible for us to daily on our own put on the armor of God in the absence of community so why God's given us this church it's why uh, we have people around us to help us with that it's, it, my son will help me with it just the other day uh, we actually have sold our house twice now so the first time we sold our house, uh, a lady got sick and she fell ill and went to the hospital and our deal fell through. And so Kelly and I are talking about how bummed we are that the house didn't sell and we're going to have to put it back on the market and all things that go with that. And I'm putting Will to bed and Will says, I'm, I'm really sad. And I said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm bummed too. Uh, we're not getting to work out our plan like we thought it was going to and, and it kind of stinks that our house didn't sell when we thought it was going to. And he said, no, dad. I'm sad about that lady. I'm sad she's in the hospital and she didn't get to have the house she wanted. And it was in that moment, I was like, man, that is, that's a way better perspective. That's a gospel perspective. That's thinking of somebody ahead of me. It's not being selfish. It's reminding myself uh, of those four Gs that we talked about. And I love how they're phrased. And I wanted to bring this point to you again as we re-rehearse those. Is it doesn't say God is so great, so I don't have to be in control. It doesn't say God is glorious, so I don't have to fear. It is we. As we're in this together, God made the church so that we would have community, that we could put on this armor of God. We could combat the enemy together. We could be gospel fluent together. We need fellow believers to remind us that when we try to take control, that God is great and he can handle it. I need my coffee group to remind me that God is glorious so I, we don't have to fear others. I need my MC to say, you know what, God is good. You don't have to look elsewhere. We need Christian brothers and sisters to show us that God is gracious so there's no need to prove ourselves. Fellow believers make the invisible God tangible, helping us to put on and tighten the armor of God so that we may stand firm. In closing, I just, I just want to remind you that there's community that brought all of us to where we are today. I remember my grandparents and parents who drug me to church every morning. I don't remember her name, but I remember my first grade Sunday school teacher who would give us gummy Cokes. I don't remember a lesson she taught us, but she loved us. And I loved gummy Cokes. They were good. All right? I remember Miss Kathy, who could rock a felt board at Good News Club after school. She was awesome at it. I remember Brother Rick Walter, uh, who I met in middle school, who owned three McDonald's in my hometown and would hand out free Big Mac coupons to middle schoolers, which was like super junior high gold, okay? Uh, I remember the Denson brothers, uh, as I entered into high school, who told a bunch of stupid jokes and loved getting together uh, ninth and 10th grade boys' hangouts to go play paintball or play football or, or whatever we would do. I remember... Um, 
my faith waning in college and coming back to guys named Garth and Lance and Fred and Shane who helped me realize that, that I could have fun and still follow Jesus, uh, I remember Willie Pentecost, my first boss, who looked at me one day and said, you could be a student pastor. I remember Pastor Buddy, when I was walking through uh, my call, who gave me tremendous wisdom, I remember this really cute girl named Kelly who encourages me daily. Uh, I'm my, my MC in my coffee group. I love them all, and I couldn't do this without them. This is a very whittled down list, but there's an army of people behind me. There's an army of people behind you. So as we go today, as we're intentionally rehearsing the gospel to ourselves, as we're intentionally letting it overflow to other people, I want you to think about this. Who are the links in your chain? Who are the people in your army that got you where you are today? How can you be thankful for them? And whose army are you in? Who are you a link in somebody's chain that's helping them to see the gospel for what it truly is, believer or non-believer? Who are you helping to see Jesus as we go forward? Mind you, there's no link, there's no soldier that's insignificant. Everything is important in bringing people to Jesus. Whether it's that very moment they accept salvation or you just brought food to a student hangout and you hang out and talk with them. Everything is a piece to the puzzle. It's all important. So who's in your army? Who brought you here? And whose army are you in? As we go forward, put on the helmet of salvation. Let it serve as a reminder that we need to be intentional as we enter the battlefield. We need to continually rehearse our salvation story and the good news of Jesus. And we need to become more gospel fluent so that the gospel flows through us naturally, allowing us to defeat the lies of the enemy, share Jesus with the lost world, and encourage each other with the good news of Christ. Just a second, we're gonna invite the uh, servers of the Lord's Supper to come up and a band back up as well. Um, But as we close, I want you to pray with me. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for all that you've done for me. I thank you for all that you have done for us because God, what you have given me is not just for me. God, you have saved me. God, you have saved us. God, you have every right to not treat us with grace. You have every right to treat us with malice and vindiction. But God, you chose love. You chose to send your one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I think we're in danger of letting that become normal and ordinary and so God in the normal ordinary everyday of life we need something extraordinary will you remind us that your gospel is extraordinary will you help us rehearse that you are a good God that you're a glorious God that you're a gracious God will you help us combat the lies of the enemy with the most glorious news of all that you are a God who saves and so God thank you for saving us but may we not keep that in here God, may we live that out. May we become gospel fluent, where it's how we think, it's how we speak, and it overflows to those around us. Father, watch over us as we leave this place. God, help us be encouragers for each other. May we continually be transformed. May we not leave the same, that we may bring the gospel to ourselves and to the world. God, we love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.